0: that's hello in Cree. Welcome to Catching Frogs, I'm Wendy Stewart. Thanks for joining me today. I'm so grateful to the Canada Council for the Arts for their support of this project and my journey to reconnect with my Cree and Métis roots and to revisit the history of Canada through the lens of Indigenous women and their significant contribution. But none of this would be possible had it not been for the tireless commitment of Donna Sutherland, my second cousin, and the 10 years of her dedicated research. We begin. Here we are at the beginning, to answer the question of why. I'm glad you found your way to catching frogs, whether it was accidental or intentional. I like to think of us sitting by a fire, tucked in and warm, the dark surrounding us, our feet close to the flames, while you come along with me as I find my way home. I undertook this project for my own purposes, to have a clear picture of my Cree heritage. It is my conscious participation in truth and reconciliation, and how I might better educate myself and understand the separation from my Cree past. I realized, a few steps into the research, that my purpose was greater than my own curiosity. I want to speak to my grandchildren to give them something they can reference with pride, to know in part who they descend from, if they choose to know. Reconciliation will come from them. My ability to change the world has passed for the most part. I can effect small changes still, of course, we all can. But the movement toward reconciliation must come from the younger generation And I believe it has, and it will continue. I'm inspired by the young Indigenous people I have met, and talked with and read their work, and been witness to the power of their voices. My reaching back into the past is necessary for me, so that I may move into the future. As a child, I read Hansel and Gretel, written by the Brothers Grimm in Germany, the story published in 1812. There wasn't a lot of diversity in children's stories when I was growing up, with the likes of the Bobbsey twins and Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys, all white kids. I was of the understanding that if a story was written down, it was true, and it was the only version that existed. I've since learned the truth is far from being one story, and the truth is seldom, if ever, a straight line. Things have certainly changed since I was a child searching for books at the library, Writers such as David A. Robertson are providing children with a truthful view of history, with stories that include Indigenous children. We all benefit from his writing and writers like him. There are many Indigenous writers, and we all have an obligation to educate ourselves about the truth of our past. Stories have the power to transport us. The story of Hansel and Gretel both terrified and fascinated me. I was inspired by the children's youthful wisdom in the face of danger, leaving breadcrumbs to find their way home. The metaphor wasn't lost on me, even as a child. Isn't that what we all are doing, finding our way to who we are, to the home that dwells within us? We all have our own breadcrumbs within us, if we look closely enough. Consider the five W's of journalism. Who? Nahue, my great-great, great-great Cree grandmother. What? The truth of her life and the forgotten and untold stories of the contributions of Indigenous women of that time. Where? On the Hudson Bay Lowlands. When? 1772 through 1863. Why? To honour Nahue and other Cree Métis grandmothers who have been absent in most, if not all, of the accounts of what we deem our history. These are some of my breadcrumbs. Breadcrumbs left for me by my second cousin, Donna Sutherland. First things first, why catching frogs for a podcast? The story of me includes frogs. My favorite activity as a child was catching frogs. And the patience required, the watching, the planning. I was drawn to them. Admired their ability to hide amongst the grasses, in the ponds and ditches of my childhood. Admired their stillness and acceptance as they bobbed on the surface of the water, trusting the ripples to hold them. I grew up on a farm in northwestern Ontario, on a piece of geography that is sacred to me, and one I long for still, the longing intensified by the passing years. I learned early on to be comfortable with my solitude, to be at one with the land that surrounded me, my playground, to feel awe for the mighty rainy river that hurried by my childhood farm, to wander the forest where the trees spoke to me, to watch the beavers building their dams, seemingly oblivious to my intrusion, to play in the spring runoff, water intent on finding its way to the river, and catching frogs. I am a long way from childhood, but still frogs speak to me, Frogs have a significant symbolism within Indigenous culture and spirituality. The frog is a symbol of renewal, of healing, of rebirth, willing to share its ancient wisdom. The frog on a totem pole of Northwestern Indigenous cultures is almost always on the bottom, symbolizing stability. Perhaps the most important quality of the frog for me is how she is credited with communicating between the living and the spirit world. The Cree word for frog is alikish. I like to think the frog and her magic brought me to this search of finding Nahue, of finding home. Nahue is Nukem, the Cree word for my grandmother, and Nahue has something to teach me. Very few indigenous women have graced the pages of history books Even less had a name that was recognized and repeated. When was Nahue alive? Where was she born? Where did she live? What does she want me to know? So many questions. The person who laid the breadcrumbs for me was Donna Sutherland. Her grandfather, William Reginald Sutherland, born in 1892, and my grandfather, Walter Colin Young Sutherland, born in 1886, were brothers, making us second cousins. Remember my grandfather's second name, Colin. Donna was born April ninth, 1961 in Selkirk, Manitoba. She had a fiery red-haired spirit. She grew up barrel racing, loving horses and highland dancing. She had a spiritual nature, looking for answers inside herself. She was a mother, proud beyond words of her three children, Amanda, Nicholas, and Katie. She was a writer, and her writing opened a whole world she had no idea existed. Donna was the key to the door, behind which she found Nahue and brought her to the rest of us. She wrote a book detailing the information she unearthed from 10 years of research as she followed her own breadcrumbs, breadcrumbs that I believe Nahue left for Donna to follow back in time. Her book is Nahue, A Distant Voice, published in 2008 by White Buffalo Books. I will provide the book's details at the end of the episode for those interested. Donna had a deeply spiritual side, an awareness that few can claim, and even fewer understand. She opened herself to this awareness as a child, accepting it as natural and innate. She trusted it and relied on the truth that came with it, never doubting its validity. The Cree people have a spiritually-based culture, believing all life events are of a spiritual nature, and the spirit must be honoured and cared for. They do not make a separation between the physical and the spiritual, from what is seen and what cannot be seen, understanding the two are part of the same whole. They worship the natural world. Europeans saw indigenous peoples as pagans and called them savages, which not only dishonors their spirituality, but also demonstrates European ignorance. All spirituality has a similar foundation of striving for betterment and self-discipline, of honor and respect, but to say Christianity is the only one truth faith is ludicrous. Prayer and offering gratitude to the physical world are commonalities rather than differences. Donna hesitated to include in her book the spiritual component of her discovery of nahoy in fear of judgment, of dismissal of her findings. Her hesitation caused her to set aside her work for a time, but Nahuayi returned repeatedly, urging Donna forward. I have no such claim to an ability to tap into my spiritual awareness, but I trust Donna's truth and I walk with it. The truth was shown to me in July of 2022, but that's for later. In 1997, Donna had a dream. A woman sat on a slab of limestone beside a fast-moving river. She wore beaded moccasins, a long dark skirt trimmed with ribbon, her blouse of the same fabric also trimmed with ribbon and animal teeth. The woman was mature, short and stout with a round friendly face and beautiful brown skin. Two braids of her long dark hair were held back from her face with a plaid bandana. She wore large-rimmed glasses that were certainly out of place. She was pounding meat in a long wooden container on her lap while she sang in a soft, melodic language that Donna didn't recognize. The woman raised her face and called Donna by name, speaking in a quiet, almost indiscernible voice. This was a significant beginning in Donna's journey, a theme that played out over and over, a theme of remembering. Donna looked for an explanation of the dream. A few years earlier, she studied archaeology and the written record at university. She was interested in the first peoples of this land, specifically during the fur trade, and even more so the stories of women of that era. She assumed the dream was connected to these studies. The woman, a vision of what she had learned. In hindsight, she realized that first encounter with the woman at the river was her awakening. Donna spoke to her parents and was told her grandmothers from the fur trade era were Cree, and a mixture of Cree-Scott heritage, of Métis. She knew of her genetic connection to William Sinclair, an Orkney man and a servant of the Hudson Bay Company. She knew of her connection to William's daughter Mary, who married John Inkster and their home Seven Oaks, built in 1851, now stands as a museum, Winnipeg's oldest home but she had no idea of her Cree ancestry before that moment. Now the woman in her dream felt personal. Someone connected to her. The dreams came again and again, like a reminder of something she might have forgotten. Then the woman spoke in the dream. The time has come for you to remember me, she said. Those words played over and over in Donna's mind. She consulted an indigenous elder, who told her the dream was a gift, a gift with a purpose? She encouraged Donna to accept the gift as a blessing. She told her to seek her spirit name. A group of spiritual women worked with her on this. Her name was White Buffalo Woman, a name she held on to with a deep pride. She surrendered to the dream and began following the signs, the breadcrumbs this woman was offering her. Her journey was underway. Donna went to the library at the University of Winnipeg. As she walked between the rows, a book fell from the shelf and landed right in front of her. The book was Women of Red River. On page 56 of the book, Donna found a clue to Nahue. I will read from the passage where the writer was interviewing Harriet Cowan, who grew up in the Red River settlement. Quote, the grandmother was the daughter of an Englishman named Holden, an officer in the company's service at York Factory in the later decades of the 18th century. In the will of her husband, William Sinkler, chief factor at York Factory, her name stands as My Beloved Wife Nahue. The name cut on the monument in St. John's Churchyard, erected to her memory by her youngest son, Colin Sinkler, is Nahue Sinkler. a breadcrumb. Donna now had a name. Her next stop was St. John's Anglican Cathedral, established by Red River Settlers in 1812. It was late fall when Donna visited the cemetery at St. John's. The ground was covered with leaves. The air was crisp and fresh. She stood at the entrance to the grounds, not sure what she was looking for or how to find it. A small chickadee flew from headstone to headstone, and a grey squirrel scurried ahead of her, keeping a safe distance. She strolled along the path, led by these two creatures, lost in her own thoughts. The squirrel stopped next to a headstone and chattered. Donna looked up. The monument was two tiers of limestone, its base about two feet high by five feet, a second tier slightly smaller, tapered with a top of pink granite, about four feet high in total. The ends were engraved with "Sinkler." Her breath caught in her throat. On the north face of the granite was engraved sacred to the memory of my mother, Margaret Nahoy Sinclair, and below was a poem, Quote, This last token of love and affection is erected by her wandering boy, Colin, 1897. Eyes of my childhood days shall meet me, lips of mother's love shall greet me. On the day I follow, oh, what hosts of memories rise, sadness dims, an old man's eyes. The wandering boy was Colin Robertson Sinclair, Nahue's child. I'm not sure if this poem was written by Colin or if it was borrowed. I can find no evidence of the words elsewhere. Donna ran her hands along the granite and felt a breath of chilly air around her. She heard a soft, gentle voice in her head. Do not fear. I bring you no harm. I am Kokum. Kokum is Cree for grandmother. She walked to the other side of the monument and there she found the inscription from Captain Colin Robertson Sinclair, born at Oxford House Kewaton, August twelfth, eighteen sixteen, died july twenty second, nineteen o one. Donna stood in awe. Questions swirled in her head. She went inside the cathedral and met the church archivist, a surprising coincidence. He, Peter Spencer, also descended from Nahoe. He gave Donna a copy of the family tree and told her about another cousin who had studied the family tree extensively. More breadcrumbs. That day inspired Donna to begin, in her words, chasing the shadow of our distant grandmother, the woman in her dream. In 1998, with all her questions in the fore of her mind, Donna enrolled in a history course at the University of Winnipeg. Nahue was her subject. Professor Jennifer Brown warned her it would not be easy to discover the life of Nahue, because so little was written of women of that time, even less of Indigenous women. But Brown shared her interview notes with Donna, interviews she had done with those of another line of descendants of Nahue. Donna was off to the Hudson's Bay Company archives and the Manitoba archives where she found William Sinclair's will referencing his beloved Nahue, more breadcrumbs. Professor Brown put her in touch with a former student, Raymond Sherrett Beaumont, a scholar of the fur trade who knew of the Sinclair family. Bernice Hiltz, another descendant, shared the story of Nahue's name. In 1782, smallpox was raging to the south of the Churchill River and the Fort Prince of Wales. To protect the fort and its inhabitants from the virus, no one was allowed to cross the Churchill River to enter the fort. The strategy worked, and the fear of the disease was instilled in all the fort's inhabitants. On August 8, 1782, three French ships sailed into the bay, took Samuel Hearn, then governor of the fort, and his men prisoner, They destroyed the fort. No supplies remained for the Cree Home Guard, and it was too late in the season to replenish their stocks. The Home Guard's fear of smallpox kept them from heading inland in search of food, so instead they headed south along the Hudson Bay coast to Fort York, a difficult journey of 150 miles. Hearn claimed there were 69 Cree Home Guard at the fort when he was taken prisoner. Only 32 survived the journey to Fort York. In Bernice Hilt's story, a young girl lost her voice on the treacherous trek, and her family named her Nahoe. Breadcrumbs Donna sought the advice of Cree elder Louis Bird to ask the meaning of Nahoe's name. He confirmed its meaning of a distant voice. Donna then asked Professor George Fulford of the University of Winnipeg, who studied the Cree language, and he agreed with Louis's pronunciation and meaning. Donna had what she needed to continue her search for Nahue. Donna was a dream guardian. Dream guardians understand how to acquire a dream, how to use a dream, how to expand a dream, and how to will a dream to continue or return. They pray to the Creator or to a grandmother to help them understand the message within a dream. Donna's dreams allowed the rest of us, Nahue's progeny, to find our way to Nahue, to learn what we were meant to learn from her. Donna's philosophy was, where I come from will always be part of where I'm going. It was Donna's commitment and passion for the journey she embarked on and held fast to that brought us all back to our Cree roots. She believed Mark Twain when he said, The two most important days of your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. Donna learned why, and she acted on this knowledge, leaving a map for the rest of us to follow should we so choose. Donna wrote her manuscript after ten years of research, and her journey felt finished. In the spring of 2006, she was visited by another woman in a dream. The woman was much older, a white-haired grandmother, Donna revisited the Indigenous elder, and the elder told her, Your Kokum is beside you. She is very pleased. She said you will continue walking the red road. Your powers of perception will deepen. You will use them to teach many others. Your work is not yet done, nor is your journey with her. Donna wept with joy. Donna left this world on July 16th, 2017. I believe she and Nahue are together, exchanging stories and waiting for Nahowe's family to remember their Cree, Métis roots. Donna left us with a wealth of information, and I feel her with me on my own journey of discovery. It is my turn to pick up the baton and carry it safely to the next descendant who might continue the journey, who might share Nahue's story and wisdom. If you would like a copy of Nahui, A Distant Voice, contact whitebuffalobooks at gmail.com or visit McNally Robinson, a well-known bookstore in Winnipeg and Saskatoon, who can order a copy for you. Next time, we'll look more closely at history's written record. Hi hi, which means thank you in Cree. Hi hi for listening. Bye for now.